The reading is from 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 to 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel said, did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Read with feeling. Right. Let me look and see where I am. Yes. Okay. This is where you do something. So how many of you said that you watched the coronation yesterday? Okay. A majority, definitely. I'd like you to talk to your neighbour and what was the most moving bit of that long day? What was the most moving bit of the coronation or perhaps the processions and the bits afterwards? Right, you've got a few minutes to do that.
Okay. Would you like to uh, turn back again? And we haven't got time to go around and collect everybody's moving bits, but um, hold on to that. You can talk um, later about that. Um, can I tell you um, my moving bits, really? The bits that moved me. One, I had three, actually, that I thought of. One was when I saw little Prince George holding the train, his grandfather's train, uh, standing at the door of the abbey. And I thought, this is when he realises what his life is going to be like. This is when he realises that it, this may happen to him. And that brought a tear to my eye. The second one was a more spiritual one, really. It was when the Archbishop um, of Canterbury, in his sermon, said something like this. Jesus is the King of Kings. He doesn't have regalia. He has the wounds on his body. And um, the third one for me was the anointing, uh, where um, uh, the king was stripped down to a white shirt and the um, screens went round him and you couldn't see what was happening. But when they took the screens away, you could just see him kneeling um, and obviously had just been anointed. And there was a, a stripped down simplicity about that that I found quite moving. There were also some quite funny bits of yesterday. And my funny bits, I've got three funny bits as well. Um, I went to Winchester Cathedral to watch the service, um, which they had on big screens. And just as we got to the point where Camilla was about to be crowned, um, uh, a big message came up on the screen saying, this screen has been inactive for too long and we are about to switch you off. <laughs> and everybody in the cathedral went, no! And some poor little verger ran down the aisle <laughs> to try and um, deal with that, which he did, fortunately. And um, the second bit was, um, uh, oh, when the archbishop put the crown on the king's head. Okay, if ever you have to crown anybody, obviously this is the way you do it. You plonk it and you twist it. All right, and um, plonk, twist. Um, so I thought, well, I don't, don't suppose I'll ever be asked to crown anybody, but that's a good thing to know. Um, and the third thing was when they went off in that ridiculous Disney carriage that... Um, um, but it was there before Disney. Disney copied the carriage rather than the carriage copied Disney. Um, uh, but in that carriage, uh, in my car, I have a cup holder where I can put my coffee. In the carriage, they had an orb holder. <laughs> we all need orb holders. So, we are going to look today a little bit about kingship and leadership and how God chose David to be king over Israel, um, to become their greatest king. And we are also, as you know in this series, exploring the Holy Spirit, and we will look at how the Holy Spirit is involved in choosing 
and empowering leaders. And finally, we need to apply this to us. I'm guessing there are not many kings and queens in the congregation. So how does this apply to us? Now, if you were here last week, you know that Tom introduced us to the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the one who was there with God the Father and God the Son at the very moment of creation. He is the one who helped to bring um, the first light out of darkness. And amazingly, he is the one who is bringing God's light in us as we let him into every part of our lives to banish that darkness. He is God in us. And if you want the key verse from last week, I think it was this, Ephesians 5, 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as the children of light. Now, when I am preparing a sermon, I often use a concordance, which is a list of all the places in the Bible um, where there are verses on a particular subject. And if you look up Holy Spirit in a concordance, you will see there are, in my concordance anyway, 37 mentions of the Holy Spirit in the 39 books of the Old Testament. And they are mostly in the Psalms and the Prophets. But over 100 references in the New Testament. And the Old Testament is that thick and the New Testament is about that thick. All right, so a lot more in the New Testament. Now, that doesn't mean that the Old Testament was, um, that the Holy Spirit was asleep during the time of the Old Testament. Um, It doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit was unknown as a concept to the people of Israel. But simply that he seems to be seen in action in the Old Testament on very limited occasions. I'm guessing that doesn't mean he wasn't doing anything. I'm guessing it's just that he's commented on in a couple of limited occasions. And one is when new leaders are appointed. And the other is about prophecy. I'm not going to talk about prophecy because I'm guessing somebody else will get round to that at some point. But um, we are looking at new leaders and the Holy Spirit. So we had our reading, um, Victoria put some oomph into it, um, from 1 Samuel 16. Um, But there is a little bit of backstory. So previously in 1 Samuel, um, in 1 Samuel 8, the elders of the people of Israel came to the prophet Samuel with a request. And it went something like this. You are getting very old, Samuel. We don't like your sons and we don't want your sons leading us after you die. So will you go to God and ask him, if we can have a king. All the other nations around here have had a king. Kings are very fashionable. We want to be like them. I wonder if you think God is a Republican or a Royalist. What do you think God would answer to that? 
I think in this country, we always associate God with the king, with the royal side. But actually, what God says in 1 Samuel 8 is surprising. He says, I'm not very keen on them having a king. He told Samuel to listen to the people of Israel, but to go back and to warn them about what having a king might mean. One of his warnings was, kings are very expensive. Um, But the main reason was that God was worried that they were asking for all the wrong reasons. They wanted to be up with the other countries. Um, They wanted to, you know, to look good. And God was worried that a king would get in the way of their relationship with him. But they were insistent, the people, and so God agreed. And then we have a rather disastrous episode in the Old Testament, King Saul. Tall and impressive to look at, a formidable war leader, just the sort of man the people wanted to be as their king. He's anointed by God. But when he's tested, he starts going his own way, not God's way, trying to build up his own reputation instead of being dependent on God. And so we come to the point where God says this, I need another, we need another king. He says, the Lord is seeking a man after his own heart to appoint him ruler of his people. And so we come to our passage today when the aged prophet Samuel is sent to Bethlehem. Note the place. This points to the the fact that there is a greater king to come out of Bethlehem. He is sent to Bethlehem to the family of Jesse to anoint a new king chosen by God. And even Samuel, the prophet, gets it wrong. When he looks at the sons of Jesse, he immediately thinks, oh, it must be this one, the tall, good-looking, eldest son that God has chosen. But it wasn't. Or perhaps it's one of these other six impressive sons that Jesse sort of um, parades before him. But no, it isn't. It isn't any of those. It is the youngest, David. Probably only a young boy, not important enough to be invited to the table. The one who is out looking after the sheep. He is the one who God says, this is the one. Rise, Samuel, anoint him. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him. In the presence of his brothers, that must have made for good family conflict. And from that day on, the Spirit of God came powerfully on David. So what can we learn from that about what God is looking for in a leader? Well, verse 7 seems to be the key, and I'm sure you noticed it as it was read out. The Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, 
but the Lord looks at the heart. I am seeking someone after my own heart, God said. He looks upon the heart. God turns things upside down and inside out. For him, what is important is character, not celebrity. Good leaders should live what they say. They should have transparent integrity. And for God, it is about potential, not experience. God looks at each person, and he's looking at each person here today, and says, what could this person be if they walked along with me? What could they be if they were filled by me, empowered by me, serving me? And above all, it says here that God is looking for someone who has a heart that is aligned with his heart, who is passionate about what God is passionate about, who is longing the longings of God. And we see that in Jesus, don't we? And God wants to see it in us. So God chooses unlikely leaders. And the Holy Spirit, whom God often uses to direct and guide and confirm his choices, well, the Holy Spirit is often a very surprising spirit. I think um, I have told this story before, but I think it's worth repeating. Um, It comes from Cardinal Vincent Nichols, who was there at the Abbey yesterday who once talked about meeting Pope Francis when uh, Pope Francis was a new pope. And the cardinal was on a panel that was meeting to choose new bishops, new bishops, and they felt they needed some direction from this new pope. What did he want them to look out for in these men who might become bishops, important leaders in the local church, Should they look for theological understanding and knowledge? Should they look at a proven record of uh, planting new churches? So the Pope came into the room and he chatted with them and he didn't really mention anything concrete. So in the end, they said they had to ask, "Um, we are interviewing this afternoon for bishops. What should we be looking for? And the Pope just paused on his way out, apparently, and just said, if they are to be shepherds, they must smell of the sheep. David came into that room smelling of the sheep. To his family and other observers, he was an insignificant young boy. But as we will find out later, when he defeats Goliath, His role as a shepherd had equipped him in so many ways. He had fought lions and bears to rescue the sheep. He had led and guided and protected his flock. He had been alone for long periods of time and had to depend on God and therefore had grown in courage and faith. And during those long lonely nights, He had developed a relationship with God 
in writing and singing songs of praise. This is the man who wrote, I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Test me, O Lord, examine my heart and mind. Your love is always before me, and I love walking in your truth. That was the heart that God was looking for. So God is looking for something different. His idea of what makes a good leader is different from ours. He looks on the inside and we look on the outside. So David is chosen by God and then he is anointed. And I'm guessing you know all about the symbolism of anointing now. Um, I don't really need to say. It's all about being set apart, isn't it, for a particular service for God. As was said in the service yesterday, a king is anointed to serve. In the Old Testament, uh, kings and leaders were anointed and priests were anointed. People were anointed, sacred objects were anointed, and even places like the temple were anointed. These were all people and places and objects that were set apart for God. And that word set apart, the word used for set apart, is the root word of our word holy. That's what holy people are. They're not necessarily super spiritual people, but they are chosen and set apart to serve God. And the oil is an outward symbol, but the real anointing is what happens next. When the Holy Spirit comes upon the anointed one to equip them for the service they are called to. And yesterday, this was the most profound and intimate part of the coronation service. To give the opportunity... I think, for the king to meet with God and to receive the Spirit. In the New Testament, Jesus is baptised, which feels like an anointing, and God meets with him and affirms his ministry. The Holy Spirit comes on him in a new way. He is sent out to be tested in the desert, and can I say that from what I can see, often in the Bible, anointing is followed by testing. And perhaps something that we might bear in mind as we pray for the, Lord, for the royal family. And when Jesus returns from the place of testing, he stands up uh, and quotes Isaiah. And this was heard yesterday as well. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. In saying that, Jesus is declaring that he is the Messiah, the anointed one. But the amazing thing, the really, really, really amazing thing, is that this anointing is not just for the great men and women of God. In the New Testament... The, no, the anointing is given to us. In some way that I don't entirely understand, Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension unlocks 
the Holy Spirit and it can be given to us, to you and to me. In a few weeks' time, we will celebrate Pentecost when this prophecy comes true. In those last days, says the Lord, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Now the Holy Spirit can be given to all people who love the Lord. Young and old, men and women, Jew and Gentile, rich and poor. And the anointing of the Spirit is about setting apart for service, but it's also about equipping us for service. Someone said that God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. The disciples were told to wait for the Spirit to come before they could spread the gospel. That is the strength and power in which we are called to serve. And by the way, I did like um, Archbishop Justin's uh, definition of service. He said, service is love in action. Service is putting love in action. So, what does God want to say to us today? I want to home in on two things. And one is about leadership. You probably don't think of yourself as a leader. You may not think of yourself as a leader in any way. Perhaps you've never been given that position. But I think God widens the definition of leadership. We may not have direct authority and power, but all of us have influence in some way. In our families, in our workplaces, with our friends, in perhaps in the church, in areas of responsibility here, even online. We all have some sort of influence. There are places that we go and conversations we get into where we can help to set the tone. There are times when we are called to change the atmosphere. I wonder if that happens to you. And perhaps to refocus people's priorities. Sometimes we are called to challenge toxic cultures that we walk into or call out policies that are unjust and that lack love. Sometimes we are the ones who are bringing light into a dark room, as Tom, I think, said last week. And in writing about uh, King Charles, commentators have talked about soft power. I wonder if you've heard those words, soft power. He may not have the authority that some of his predecessors had. He may not be able to ride into battle in the way they did. But he has the power to influence people and situations for good and to change the narrative. Where does that apply to us? I was reminded this week of the uh, two little pictures that Jesus uses about the kingdom of God. 
God's kingdom is like a tiny mustard seed that quietly grows into a big tree, almost growing in secret, hidden in plain sight, I think, as Chris said. Or God's kingdom is like a tiny amount of yeast that permeates through and transforms a whole batch of dough. God is at work in us, around us, and through us, perhaps almost imperceptibly building his kingdom through our small actions and witnesses and words. Our influences are all part of that. But secondly, the act only works if our hearts are right. In another parable, Jesus says that whatever we have in our heart, whether it's good or bad, is what flows out of us. Interestingly, influence means something about flowing out of us. So what flows out of us into the world? Our hearts need to be right with God, aligned with God's heart, just like David We are called to be men and women after God's heart. And that may mean that we need a change of heart. And I wonder if that really is your desire as we've sung this morning. If you really want him to change your heart. The good news is that transplanting hearts is one of God's specialities. It's what he promises to do. So as we come to um, the rest of this service, I'm going to suggest that this might be a really good time to ask God to change your heart if you feel that you need that. Um, There's going to be a couple of opportunities. One is that in a minute we're going to sing um, Purify My Heart. And it may be that that, with all its words about melting and refining and changing us, might help you to use as a prayer to God. The other thing is that when we come to communion, that is often a place where God meets with us in power. So do use that to ask God to change your heart. And I'm going to finish by reading a promise of God. And you might like to close your eyes at this point. And because this is a promise of God from the prophet Ezekiel, but it's a promise of God, I think, to us as well. This is what the Lord says. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony and stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Lord, would you do that in us, we pray. Amen.
Please do take your seats. We come now to receive from the Lord in communion as we remember his love given for us on the cross. And as we receive, as Liz has encouraged us, would you offer yourself in love to him? And the children are going to join us. So the words we need will be on the screen now. The Lord is here. His spirit is with us. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give thanks and praise. It is right to praise you, Father, Lord of all creation. In your love, you made us for yourself. When we turned away, you did not reject us, but came to meet us in your Son. 
You embraced us as your children and welcomed us to sit and eat with you.